Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Gross. I'm the Associate Executive Presbyter for the Presbytery of Donegal. I'm hosting this podcast series titled Missional Church Conversations, Making It Real. The basis of this conversation will be a series of interviews with a wide variety of leaders in the field of the missional church. These leaders will come in the form of professors, pastors, elders, deacons, and sisters and brothers in Christ who are experimenting with new ways of being the church in the world today. My hope is that these conversations will inspire you, challenge you, inform you, change you, and push you into the world with boldness and confidence to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I have to mention that I'm indebted to uh, this uh, www.freeconferencecall.com for this call and the recording feature. It's outstanding. Today's guests are the Reverend Tony Sundermeyer, Senior Pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and Dr. John Frankie, Professor of Theology at Biblical Seminary in Hatfield, PA. Tony is a personal friend, received his Master of Divinity from Princeton Seminary, and is currently a Doctor of Ministry candidate at Biblical Seminary in Advanced Missional Leadership. Tony, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Charlie. And Dr. Frankie is Tony's advisor in this Doctor of Ministry process. Dr. Frankie received a BA from Nyack College, an MA from Biblical Theological Seminary, studied at Drew University, and received his Doctor of Philosophy degree from the University of Oxford. Dr. Frankie, thanks so much for your time and for this interview today. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Well, with that brief introduction, here's my hope for the uh, audience today of this conversation, is that we can introduce them to the concept of the missional church. You know, what, is it, what does that mean? And how do we engage congregations to actually get it? How do we preach it, do it, prepare people to make the shift, if there's a shift to be made? And what are a, one or two things to take away from this conversation to make it real? And with that, I'll turn it over to, um, to you uh, folks for, um, to take the conversation further. Well, I'll jump in on this whole notion of missional church, um, which I think obviously is a starting point. And I think one of the things that is important is that um, missional church, the idea is connected with the notion of who the God revealed in Jesus Christ is. And in this conversation, a lot of the folks involved in it will say something along the lines that God is a missional God uh, in in God's very nature. That is to say, God from all eternity has been characterized by mission. And so the activity of God in sending Jesus into the world, and then the Father and the Son sending the Spirit into the world, is reflective of who God is in God's very character. And the church is missional because the church has been invited to participate in that mission that God is engaging in and has been engaging in for all eternity and with respect to the world. So I think the classic text, that kind of a biblical text that captures this is in John chapter 20, verse 21, when Jesus says, 
as the Father has sent me, he then says to his disciples, so I am sending you. That is, after the pattern by which the Father sent me, the Son, into the world, I am now sending you to be, as Charlie described at the opening, my hands and feet in the world. Uh, and so the, the missional church is called to participate in the activities that Jesus Christ was involved in in his uh, incarnation here on earth. Mm. And I think the language of call is crucial for the missional church. And John, you used the word call several times in that description, um, the language of vocation, this understanding that we are only the church in as far as we receive and live into the call to participate in what God is up to uh, and God's mission to redeem the world in the pattern and way of, of Jesus. So the missional church uh, understands itself as being called by God to do this. And outside of this vocation, outside of this call, it has no life, it has no uh, direction. That the very core of its existence, of its lifeblood, is this notion that it's called to be sent into the world to bear witness by the way it speaks, by the way it loves, by the way it practices faith and life uh, in and for the world. And maybe it's helpful to even break that down uh, as we think about missional church. And before just spending more time on the missional idea, what is the church? And maybe this is one of the things Charlie was hinting at in his introduction about a change. Um, maybe one of the changes for a lot of folks is that we often, when we think about church, we immediately think about the building that we gather in on Sunday morning and other times during the week and maybe the programs that take place in that building. And I think one of the one of the changes that uh, thinking about church as missional community is to suggest that the church really isn't the building, um, that a church speaks, uh, it's a way of talking about a community gathered together, in this case, around the person of Jesus Christ with an intention to participate in his mission. And so while building can be nice, um, it's, the church isn't about the building or the institution or the structures per se. It's about a community that's intentionally gathered in, as disciples of Jesus Christ to engage in mission for the sake of the world. Um, just a quick story, you know, one of the pastors the church that I uh, was a member of um, when we got when we moved into a new building because it had been a church plant uh, a new church development project he was very insistent with the conversation with the congregation that we would not never refer to the building as the church and every time somebody did that he would gently correct them and say no this is the ministry facility the church is the community of people and at one level, you know, you could say, well, that seems kind of trite, and it could be irritating sometimes, especially when you were the one being corrected. But his point, I think, was very important, and I think it's it's important in thinking about this missional church conversation to think the church isn't the building. Yeah, and, and John, I think, you know, you, you said it, it's not a trite comment, but it's true in the sense of that understanding of the church is pervasive, particularly in the tradition that we're all um, coming out of, the PCUSA, where there's a lot of emotional ties 
to the building. Yeah. Um, and this notion that the church sort of is or isn't based upon its um, real estate, based upon its structures, based upon, and I'm speaking physically now, uh, one of the things that I, I encourage our leaders, our elders in particular, to begin to think about is how can we decentralize our our buildings or, or, or our meeting spaces? Or in other words, how can we find what some sociologists call third places, hmm. where people are uh, engaged in life who are maybe creating cultural goods or are just simple places where people gather outside of their home, outside of work, where we can be the church, where we can be light and salt, where we can bear witness in a way that is not defined by what we do on Sunday morning. In our case, it's 8.30 and 11 a.m. with an education hour at 9.45 and committee meetings throughout the week, but be defined by the ways in which we are loving our neighbor, by the ways we're getting to to know our neighbor's uh, story. One of the things that um, we're engaging with here in Initiative in Allentown, that we're working with one of these third places in the city of Allentown, in the heart of the uh, of the city, is is meeting at a bar um, to uh, to bring people who are craftspeople, who are activists, who are artists, who are musicians, who are creating cultural goods, that we can begin to um, meet in a in a space that is not home, not work, and not church, as it, as it's understood, and bear witness through that which we're engaged in in day-to-day life by the networks and the neighborhoods and the relationships that we are, which we find ourselves in. And and for folks who are in experiencing faith or even the notion of religion in a post-Christian context, I think it's crucial, as John, you were saying, this notion of moving beyond defining the church by its um, geographic location, by its zip code or by its by its buildings, uh, because people are 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 not coming to those spaces. You know, they're not. Right. Uh, they're gone. Are the days when you'd move into a town, you'd pick up the phone book and say, "Where are the Methodist churches in the area? Uh, where are the Lutheran churches in the area? Where are the the Presbyterian or the Catholic or or the Charismatic churches?" Now we, we've moved beyond that in our in our culture or cultures, where we are required to live into this missional pattern, uh, there's a sense of urgency, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say there, that you can't stay within the building and, and believe, as Kevin, Kevin Costner did, if you build it, they will come. Yes, good. Yeah. And, and maybe with that kind of framing of thinking about church, then we get into this question of missional church. What is What does it mean to be missional? And I know lots of times folks are looking for definitions that they can can latch on to. And I want to offer one here in a minute with the caveat that we have to be careful. Uh, I think one of the things that has characterized so much of our thinking about Christianity is this notion of reductionism, that we fit slogans or our favorite biblical texts on a bumper sticker and let that be defining. And one of the things that's true about the mission idea of the missional church is it's not something that we can think of in a reductionistic, simple, or formulaic way. But having said that, I think it's helpful to kind of have some ways of getting into this idea. And one of my favorites has always been from David Bosch. Um, he's a South African 
theologian who uh, died in a car accident many years ago, but he wrote a very important book called Transforming Mission, which is something that I would recommend uh, published by Orbis Press if you're interested in getting deep into the conversation. But in the uh, last sentences of the book, he says something to the effect that Christian mission is participation in the liberating mission of Jesus, wagering on a future that, that verifiable experience seems to belie. And then he says, it is the good news of God's love incarnated in the witness of a community for the sake of the world. And I like thinking about it that way, that it's, it's this good news of what God has done in Jesus. Who God sends the, the Son because God loves the world. And, and the community that gathers around Jesus incarnates this love that God has for the world in Christ. But that that is for the sake of the world. Um, and if you think about Jesus' uh, mission, uh, I like to think helpfully about two texts, at least it seems helpful to me. Luke 4, uh, in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, a very well-known text where Jesus uh, says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me uh, in Luke 4, verse 18, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that part of the mission that we engage in for the sake of the world as this community that's incarnated in love of God is to do engage in these uh, liberating aspects of what Jesus came to do that God's mission makes a difference in the world here and now. It is not something that's simply about the future, some future time when we'll be redeemed. And then a second text in Luke 19 with the story of Zacchaeus, where Jesus speaks of how the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And I think uh, evangelism is still an important part of the missional church, um, and uh, seeking to uh, tell the good news of the love of God, to invite people to experience uh, that love in the life of a community. I think those are fundamental ways, I think, to begin to think about this idea of what is missional. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, what, would, what would help me is, uh, I heard the, uh, the fact about it's the calling, you know, folks calling, but how do we, you know, in terms of preaching it or acting out as the hands and feet of Jesus and, and continuing that work, do we, is it both and in terms of the preaching and the doing it? How do, you, how do we shift from, um, from the building to these third spaces, and how do we push ourselves, how do we model that for people and you know, what does that look like in terms of um, gathering for a conversation that does, you know, figure out ways of bringing some healing or some, some, some new life or some new energy or some, you know, some uh, restorative shift in, a, in an area? In other words, how do we, you know, the, the hands and feet piece is what I continue to say, you know, figure, how do we figure that out or how do we do that? Um, and how's that working the, for you, Tony, maybe? Well, this this area is of, of significant interest to me, and it's the work that I'm engaged in uh, with John at, at Biblical, and this is sort of where I'm cutting my teeth on the missional conversation and still growing uh, in this area. But 
but for me, uh, it is an intentional and thoughtful and theological focus on helping leaders develop missional competency. Um, the work that I have been engaged in as far as research goes, I did a survey of 127 elders in larger PCUSA churches in the Northeast, mostly in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And the first question I asked was, have you ever heard of the term missional? And of 127, only 57% uh, said they had actually even heard the word missional. But then I asked, are you comfortable in defining it? And out of the uh, 127 elders that I surveyed, only 11% said that they were very comfortable uh, defining it. And then the, the highest number of folks uh, percentage-wise were folks who were not comfortable at all in defining it. And what I found was is while this conversation uh, is uh, terribly meaningful in the academy and for pastors like me, uh, there's a disconnect between uh, the content and the conversation of the missional church and what leaders are engaging. And when I say leaders, I'm, I'm thinking of leaders, uh, elders and deacons and, and those leaders within our congregation. There's a big disconnect. And so for me, how do you begin to put some shoes on this and let it walk in the world? Uh, you first you, you, you invest in your high-level leaders, and you begin to form in them what I would call missional competencies, which uh, engage in conversations around leadership, um, moving from most of our churches have operated on a volunteer sort of scheme of of practicing faith and life versus a, a leadership uh, understanding of practicing faith and life. So, for example, we get our people to do things based on their availability and can we guilt them into it versus are we talking about spiritual gifts and vocation. Again, I'll return to that image of vocation of being called um, our volunteers want to maintain our programs. Our leaders want to influence people. So if we can begin to influence those elders and they begin to influence the committees and the teams they're working with, this conversation um, sort of trickles out. And I think what what is important is it, it's, it's work of translation, which is as old as, uh, you know, language, right? Uh, how do you take the core content, and John articulates it well, not just on this uh, this call, but also in some of his books, and I would recommend, because he wouldn't do this himself, which is part of his charm, um, <laughs> uh, The Nature and Character of Theology, and uh, his most recent book, uh, The Plurality of Truth, which is the, the title is Manifold Witness, subtitled The Plurality of Truth, where he begins to deal with this. But But how do you begin to take this kind of meat and season it and and prepare it for uh, for your people to begin to digest and to begin to to uh, to feast on, and I think I, I think there's a gap there, and and I don't have all, any of the answers uh, because I think a lot of it's contextual as well. I think it's going to depend. What we're doing in Allentown may not be what folks are doing over in Bethlehem, for example, even though we're 15 minutes away. Uh, but but investing in leaders. Uh, those high-level leaders to begin to do the translation work that needs to be done to have a bridge between what's the conversation that's happening in the academy among theologians and pastors and the conversations and understanding that, that our elders and, and lay leaders are, are possessing. Yeah, and I just add on to that. I mean, I think that that's exactly right. Um, 
and that one of the things we need to communicate to our leaders and really to everybody um, is because of a certain way of thinking about Christianity, certain conceptions of the gospel, the whole notion of the Christian culture, and so you go to church because that's what good people do, um, that we need to really wrestle and work to reframe that. Uh, one person put it to me, I've tended to go to large churches um, in my life, and I know Tony's pastored at large churches, but uh, oftentimes churches have the mindset, as one person put it to me, that they're kind of like cruise ships. There's lots of activities, and you can participate in as many of the activities as you'd like, or as you'd like to, or none, and that that's kind of the way uh, things are in church. And I think what we really need to say is that discipleship to Christ which is part of the vocation of our baptism and our confirmation, is about participation in Christ's mission, uh, and, and, which is another way of saying there's no, um, there's no passive uh, right. discipleship with Jesus. He's calling for... Optional. Come again? It's not optional. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so, again, you can say that in a way that's condemning people, and I think we ought to avoid that, but that at the same time, we ought to be constantly putting this message out in our preaching and teaching that um, being a Christian and a, and a disciple of Christ is about participating in the mission that the Son came into the world to uh, to be a part of, and that there really is no... Um, uh, opting out of that if we're going to be uh, part of what God's doing in the world. Uh, we don't go to church just to feel good uh, or just because it's a nice thing to do, but we go because there's, there's profound, profoundly important work to be done in the world, and we are only uh, in discipling, a discipled relationship um, with Jesus as we, as we do that. Uh, it's one. It's interesting. Just one more comment on that. Um, Daryl Guder, who's the academic dean at Princeton, has made the comment, which I found really helpful. That that in a sense, discipleship is a prelude to apostolicity. That we're all sent, which is where the word apostle comes from, to be sent. And that discipleship is about being prepared for that activity of being sent out into the world. So that even thinking about the shift in the biblical narratives from referring to the, the followers of Jesus as the disciples to the apostles is here's a period of time of discipling and then being sent to do the work. And I think discipleship is always with that vision on being sent uh, into the world to be faithful participants. So I think to preach about that, to talk about that, to be making those connections in the texts, in, in our congregations, is a crucial part of helping people form a missional imagination that in the context of Christendom, that people just don't have that imagination uh, as a common part of their uh, equipment in thinking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. When it comes mm. to the preaching moment, and this is where, sort of where I... I really get a lot out of the missional conversation and the way that it forms me and has challenged me in two aspects of preaching. And this may be um, maybe overly pragmatic here, but uh, this is where I see some of the uh, some of the avenues widen uh, for the missional conversation and some of the 
opportunity this conversation and the, and the theological uh, discourse around it provides. Um, one is an exegesis. Um, when we are preparing sermons, and when I'm preparing a sermon, and this this has come, uh, again, to reference Daryl Guter, my time with him at, uh, at Princeton Seminary was a, was a great formative time because he was not only teaching us new ways of thinking theologically, he was also teaching us new ways to read the scriptures. And one of those, uh, the categories or the questions, is probably better said that when we approach a text, um, is how is this text forming us for God's mission in the world? Right? And we all know that what questions we bring to the text are the answers we're going to get out of it. Um, and so to have a missional exegetical strategy to say, okay, how is this text forming God's people to be part of God's mission in the world? How is it witnessing to what God will do once and for all in and as Jesus Christ? How does this uh, text uh, uh, bear witness to the kingdom of God? Uh, how does it call us to be uh, co-creators uh, of of uh, of God's love and God's grace as we participate in what God is doing. And so asking certain questions for the world. So how is this good news for uh, the homeless person that I drive by on the way to church on Sunday morning? Uh, how is this good news for those who have had their homes foreclosed on in inner city Allentown? Uh, how is this good news for the one who had everything uh, together and now uh and now life is 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 falling apart and it's always asking the for other for the world kind of question right so that's one aspect the other is what we want to get out of the preaching moment what's the response that we want to uh generate and it's interesting to me and this is this is true i think um in, in liberal camps and moderate camps and conservative evangelical camps, um, there is a heavy emphasis on feeling in preaching. We want our people to feel something, feel that they're loved or feel that they're accepted or feel guilt uh, of their sin. Uh, and these aren't wrong things. These aren't bad things. But we have an overemphasis of what I call the Talikian model of preaching. Know that you're accepted. Feel that you're accepted. And sort of that's the the basis of the Christian life. Uh, preceding Tillich, I think, is, is is real heavy emphasis on the Christendom model of knowing something. right? you got to know that Moses came before Jesus so you don't embarrass yourself at a cocktail party. So we're concerned <laughs> about conveying information about the scriptures, about doctrine, about theology to the congregation. And knowing is important, too. Feeling and knowing is important, but the missional turn is it says, okay, not only is feeling important, not only knowing is important, but being is important. Who am I called to be as a follower of Jesus Christ today in those places where God has called me to to live and work and play and love and pursue justice? Um, that's why every sermon that you'll, if you ever hear me preach, I'll end every sermon by saying, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the world. Uh, and I'll open by praying, Lord, make us into something and someone different than who we were when we walked in through the doors this morning, even to be more like Jesus. And those two um, those two declarations, one in a prayer, one in sort of a eschatological hope, uh, border the preaching moment for me, that, that preaching event, and, and, and help me remember that this is about people 
becoming, being more like Jesus, and it is for, not for the, for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. And I'll end this little this, this section by quoting one of my favorite quotes by uh, William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, when he said, the church may be the only organization that exists for the sake of its non-members. Hmm. And that'll preach. Hmm. I think that, hmm. that'll preach. Yep. Wow. Wow. Well, guys, thank you very much. You, I believe you have um, increased the kingdom today, and you've given us some phenomenal questions to ask ourselves and um, some resources to, to, to look up. Is, is there any last uh, comment or so that you want to offer just to, uh, you know, to wrap it up and to, to conclude? Um, yeah, I think... You know, taking away from the conversation two things that I, well, I'll mention three things. One, church is not a building. It's not a place. Uh, two, what we're involved in in our communal gatherings as, as the intentional disciples of Jesus is asking the question, how do we participate in Jesus' mission? So just, in Jesus' mission. Hmm. So just something really practical for everyone is to sit down and uh, read through scripture and in prayer ask, what is that mission? How do I participate in it? What can I do? And then a third thing that I always like to emphasize, because this can sometimes seem overwhelming for folks, is um, just to start. You don't have to start big and think about all the challenges in the church, but what, what new experiment can I launch in my life based on my sense of Jesus' mission and how will I participate in it? What experiment could I encourage in my congregation a new thing to do uh, to begin to participate? I think those three ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. Church is not a place or building. Uh, we're called to be doing the things that Jesus was about, so what are those things? And then to, to start even if no matter how small, to actually start by beginning to do something uh, in in line with this. Mm. Outstanding. I think for I think for me, um, it, this is sort of a, a what next kind of reflection. Uh, in brief, you know, if you're listening to to this podcast, you are obviously engaged at some level with the missional conversation. My hunch is is that you're either a pastor or a lay leader or someone who is. Uh, is longing for this to take some sort of shape in the life of of the church. And here's the difficulty that, that we all face if we're in that chair, if we're in that seat, is that there isn't a program. The missional is not a program. Uh, that it, There's not some sort of workbook out there. And even though people are writing books and selling books and we have theologians who are talking about it, where missional matters, it's in the neighborhood. It's in the local context. It's in the it's in the micro aspects of faith and life in a particular uh, community of faith. And and for me, what I am encouraged by is when folks take risks, like John was saying a little bit, when those who are listening to something like this take risks um, to deepen the conversation within their own context. Uh, and I've found all those academics, all those theologians, very helpful, very helpful. But we, where it's going to flourish 
is when we have leaders engaging other leaders on the ground with this uh, with this uh, conversation, and that's where that's when and where it's going to uh, take off, uh, particularly in a in a denomination like ours in the PCUSA, where uh, where things do look pretty dire. But I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope that that God will uh, will utilize and use. Uh, our denomination, our local congregation, to bear witness and continue to bear witness to mm. uh, the good news in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen and amen. Tony, Dr. Frankie, thank you very much. May God richly bless you both and your families. 